I wanted to make sure she knew that the next day was about her. Like she's still the mother until those papers are signed. And like, I would play whatever role she wanted me to play. But I just told her, I leaned over and said, tomorrow is all about you. If you want me there, I am there. And if you want your alone time, I t completely understand. And she's, I still cried talking about any of this. Um, she said like, Hannah, tomorrow's not about me. Tomorrow's our day. We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Mother Birth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hey everybody, welcome to Mother Birth today. Lara and I are here and we've got a special guest from Chicago. Hannah Elo is an adoptive mom who's going to be sharing her story with us today. She founded a company called Kindred & Co, which kind of helps women um, connect and share their stories about the adoption process. Um, Hannah, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into your story? Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Thank you for being here. Yeah, of course. Um been married for seven years to a great guy named Josh, and we've been started the adoption process about two years ago, and now we have twin girls, which I never, ever, ever thought I'd be a twin mom, but yep, we live in Chicago, and my husband's in medical school. He's finishing up his fourth year right now and applying to residencies. I have a full-time job working for an orphan care organization where I'm the communications director, and then I do kindred on the side to help people through their adoption process and journey. Um, and I'm a mom, so life is full and busy here in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. Can you tell us a little bit more about what Kindred & Co. does? Yeah, so when we went through um, the domestic adoption process, we always thought we were going to do international. I knew a lot about international adoption. I didn't know very much about domestic adoption, so I kind of jumped in blindly. Um, and while I went through the process, I was just in search of stories that I could hear from what they call all sides of the triad. So from adoptees and from birth mothers and from um, adoptive parents, I wanted to hear from all sides. And I couldn't find one place where I could go to like read stories from the adoption triad. Um, so that's something I really wanted. I was searching for community and I wanted people that had gone before me to learn from. Um, and I noticed there was some community within like the agencies that you partner with, but I couldn't find like one spot for anyone, no matter which walk of life they're coming from to kind of share. Um, and so that was one reason that I thought of Kindred going through the process. And then also a big part of the domestic adoption process is making your profile book. And this is a book that you make all about your family um, or yourself and your husband, uh, whoever it is, um, that you make to present to expectant moms that are considering adoption. It's really the only thing they have to look at or go off of when they're choosing a family of who's going to raise their child. So it's a huge and um, really big part of the adoption process. Um, but a lot of agencies, unfortunately, give very little insight into like what you should write and what it should look like and how to even make it. Um, and so I was super excited to make mine. I had a design and marketing background. and I loved photography. And so I just was sharing my book and I got inundated with emails from people asking me to help them with their book and how did I do it and where did I print it? And so honestly, like I was never planning on starting Kindred, but I just felt like going through the adoption process. I just saw these gaps and I just thought, by the end of it, that they were ones that I could help fill. And so, um, I'm a terrible writer and I hate writing. <laughs> um, and so I knew that if I didn't invite other people to do it with me, I would never start. And so I asked a bunch of other adoptive moms to start with me and be bloggers. Um, and they all said yes, which was incredible. We have a birth mom on our team that helps make the books, but, um, right now it's just like an online community that we do blogs every Tuesday and share stories. And then we also help hopeful adoptive families with their profile book. Wow, I love that. I've just never even never even heard of that, which is which is so cool. Yeah. It's really fun. <laughs> yeah. It's really great. So um the work you do um with the orphan care, is that something you did before adopting your girls? Yes. So I got my job at Children's Hope Chest right out of college and I moved to Colorado Springs, not knowing a soul, um, to start the job there. Um I've got to travel all over the world with um the organization, which has been really great. We partner businesses and communities and churches here in the U.S. with overseas orphan communities. And 
a huge part of like my story is like the first time I went to Africa, I saw so many children without family. And that's really where my heart really started moving towards um, adoption and um, creating a family that might look a little different than social norm. So yeah, I like that's just where I was really exposed and a bunch of my coworkers had adopted internationally. So that's really where I thought we would start our own adoption. But yeah, ended up going the domestic adoption route. Hmm. So do you want to back up maybe and tell us a little bit about your story and what led to the adoption process and um, just kind of what your personal experiences were, what, you know, what you and your, your partner went through in getting to that decision? Yeah. Um, so when Josh and I were dating, um, we talked about adoption even then. I told him I'm not really looking for anything unless you're willing to, I think I said, move to Africa someday or... <laughs> adopt. And at that time he said, that sounds great. I think he just wanted to keep dating. Um, but then through a series of really more serious conversations, we just had always felt like we wanted to adopt. And I don't think we knew when it would happen. Um, and personally, like when I was younger, like I always wanted to be a mom. I even want, I got my degree in education because I wanted to have a good schedule to be a mom. And then my junior year of college is when I first went to Africa and just that trip like really wrecked me in a lot of ways, but I got a different, I picked up a different degree in nonprofit management. The first few years of my life with Josh or married, married life, sorry. Um, I didn't know if I wanted to be a mom anymore. Like it was just really exciting to travel and to do my job and be married. And, um, so I feel like my journey to motherhood has been really up and down from like all, all I want to do is be a mom to now I want to be a career woman and travel the world. And then, something happened like five years into marriage where I just felt like it was time for something new and I didn't know what that new thing was. And then the idea of creating a family came up and we were talking more and more about that. And then we got into these conversations where we felt like there was a social pressure to like have biological kids and then adopt last. Mm. And, and we would like, so then we'd like try to figure out if we're going to have biological kids. And like, every time we'd have that conversation, it was draining and we felt exhausted by the end of the conversation. But then when we changed subjects and talk about adoption, we would both like light up and we could talk about it for hours. And finally we we're like, why are we feeling like we have to do this thing that no one's actually telling us we have to do. Yeah. Um, and so as soon as we like said that and said like, we don't need to do it that way, we can start with adoption. It was like so free and, I think we started like looking at agencies like the next day. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, we again, always thought we'd do international, but Josh was in med school. Um, there was a lot of stuff going on in international adoption where I even had some friends that had to like move to Ethiopia for months to like really make sure that their child was um, a true orphan. And mm-hmm. um, there's just a bunch of things that were making international adoption more tricky and you have to travel twice to the country. And just with where we were in life, we didn't feel like that was, the right route. Um, and so Josh said, how about we do domestic? And I was really caught off guard. Um, and like, I'm a researcher and so I didn't know much about it. So I didn't know what to think. And, but as soon as we started researching and learning more about open adoption, we were really drawn to the fact that we could not only be a part of a child's life, but potentially, um, their birth mom's life and her story as well. Um, and so we were super excited at that point to start our domestic adoption. Um, we started in August of 2015 and um, we worked with a consultant. So we worked with agencies all over the U S and I am trying to like think back to those first emotions, but I think I was just so scared, but excited. Like adoption is so unplanned and not unplanned, but like nothing's guaranteed and um, you don't have a due date or it's just, it's all up in the air. So you really have to like start and then like let go. Um, and just go for this like wild ride. Um, and so we did our home study, which is a bunch of paperwork and the social, the meeting with social workers. And that took about three months to complete. And then, um, once we were done with that, then you're what you, what you call a waiting family. And that means you're active. You're seeing situations, um, of mothers that are thinking about adoption, um, and getting to show your profile book to them. Um, and so we started seeing situations in January of 2016. Um, what do you mean when you So the process in in our situation and some agencies do it differently, but um, we get an email every time there is a expectant mom that's considering adoption, that's looking for a family like us and that we're looking for someone like her. Um, And so you get this email that says, 
here's information about mother B and it's like her health records and how far along she is in the process and what she's due and how much you can expect to pay for this adoption. And so you read through that information and every time you get this email, your heart just like drops and you run to your computer and you like try to figure out all these emotions and is this the right situation for us? And you really only say, I want to show our profile book to this expectant mom if you really feel like you would say yes back. So you're putting your yes on the table if you respond Mm -hmm. to one of these, I don't know, they call them situations. Yeah. Um, So we saw about 13 of those um, before we ended up getting matched with the girls. But let me back up a little more. My husband the whole time was joking. He wanted twins and I thought he was absolutely nuts. Um, I come from a really big family and we're all really spread out. So I was on this like plan to have one child every 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> every time we would go shopping or something, I would like want this most minimal European looking stroller or backpack that has like nothing on it. And, um, Josh would come up with this like huge stroller with like multiple seats and does all these things. And I'm like, babe, we do not need that. And he's like, yeah, cause we're gonna have twins. And I'm like, no, we're not gonna have twins. Um, And that continued through our whole adoption. Um, And so another part is Josh is in med school. He like gets no break during the year. Mm -hmm. And so we're like, how are we going to handle this, a baby coming into our life when like you have no breaks? Um, There was one break where he'd take a huge med school test in April. And then he, he, we knew he'd have two weeks off after that. So we were secretly hoping, or maybe not so secretly that, something would happen in these like two weeks of April that like the baby would be born then or we get matched or so, so he could have some time at home with the baby or especially if we had a fly um, that he would be able to be there. Um, And now we had seen a bunch of situations. It's now the beginning of April. We haven't heard anything. We haven't even shown our book. Like we didn't ever feel like the situation was ours yet. And I'm like, okay, this is, this timing is just not going to happen for us. Um, And then it's, let me think. I don't know. It's like, the first week of April sometime. And on Facebook, a situation pops up about these twins that are being born in Utah and they're being born soon and they still need to find a family for them. Um, But it said you had to live in Utah. And so I was, I like terribly tagged Josh in this post and made like, use that like winky face emoji. Like, look, here's a (laughs) thing about twins, but ha ha, we can't have them because you have to live in Utah, which was really mean. Um, And then he came home and he was like, Hannah, why don't you just call? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's probably what his plan would have been. Um, But luckily he came home and said, why don't you just call them and get a little more information and really make sure you have to live there. And I was like, ah, fine. So I email and call this agency and they're getting like inundated with requests and said, they're never going to put a situation up on Facebook again. Cause then you just get like all these people that say they want to adopt, but they're not, they're not in the process legally ready to adopt. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so it took a long time to actually get information back from them because they were just so swamped with communications. So we finally got information and it was the first time that we were like, oh my gosh, I feel like we should show our book. So neither of us slept that night and I don't even think we talked. Like it was just, I remember just silence. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then we, and I, I remember that night literally Googling like how to take care of twins. (laughs) Like (laughs) I did not know what we were getting ourselves into. Um, and, but we woke up and just, we both had the same feeling that we'll always regret it if we don't show our book or always wonder. Um, if we show our book and get a no, we'll just know it's not our story. And at that point, it just seemed like so many things had to go right. Yeah. Um, and so many doors had to open for those to be our girls. And so we're like, we were just like, okay, we have to overnight our book. So we sent our book. We were supposed to hear a couple days after that. And it took like a, like a week, I think, to hear anything. And then finally, when we heard back from the agency, they were like, um, well, she, expect a mom wants to talk to you and the other books that she was looking at. Mm. And we're like, oh my gosh. Okay. And by this time, like we're already like just drained from the week of waiting. Um, and so we jumped on a phone call with her and it was like the most amazing phone call. She asked us so many like brilliant and very thoughtful questions. and. Um, there was just so many moments that we felt like, oh my gosh, this is like, it felt like truly magical in some, some ways. Um, mm. One like little weird side part of the story is when I was in college, which was like, oh gosh, I'm getting older, 10 years ago or something. Um, this number 37 kept like popping up in my life everywhere. And I'm not even someone that like thinks about those things, but it just became humorous. And like my family even started noticing, like every time we were out to dinner, 
I'd get the number 37 or like a bus would cut me off and it was number 37. Mm-hmm. And like this had been going on for years and my family always gives me 37 gifts now because it became like a running joke. Um, and so in the adoption process, again, you don't have a due date. And so when you're making a registry, I don't know, you just put in like a random date. So Josh and I would always put in March 7th as our due date mm-hmm. for 37. Yeah. Um, and that day came and went and it was like radio silence. And I remember we both went to bed like, oh, shoot, nothing happened on 37. Like we could have made a story out of this number. So it had meaning instead of just some weird number. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, yeah, so we were hoping something would happen on March 7th and nothing did. And then we're talking to birth mom and we're sharing like holidays we love and what we do on Christmas. And then we start talking about birthdays and we asked her when her birthday was. And she said, March 7th. And (laughs) Josh and I I still like cry. Like Josh and I started bawling because we're like, this is such a like a little thing. Mm -hmm. But to us, it like was really powerful. And um, by the end of the conversation, she said, I'm confident that I want you to be the twins, mom and dad. And again, bawling. Um, our friends, like we called family and like videotaped, like announcing that we've been matched and that it was with twins. And um, it was so funny. I like called my mom and she just kept saying on the phone, Hannah, are you saying twins? I swear I thought you said twins. I'm like, mom, yes, twins, T-dub twins. Yes, twins. So it was just this like really surreal, surreal moment of celebrating a family that were far away and telling them that we had been matched and not only one baby, but two. And then the other kicker was they were coming in 10 days. Um, so we had 10 days to like raise $30,000 and make plans to get to Utah and find a place to stay there and figure all this like adoption lawyer stuff. Like there was just so much that happened in that, those 10 days. It was insane. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I'll skip forward a little bit. The other crazy part was, uh, so we flew to Utah on a Friday um, no, sorry. Josh took his huge medical school test, like the biggest test you take in med school on that Friday. Uh, we flew to Utah Saturday. We had like the most beautiful Sunday to enjoy just the two of us in Salt Lake. And then the girls were born the first Monday morning of Josh's two weeks off, like at 8 a.m. Wow. Um, that week that we were hoping for the whole time. Yeah. So there was just so many things like that that just made our story really unique and really perfect for us. Yeah. 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 I like multiple times when you were talking, I just got like, you know, either teared up or like got that, like that chill feeling. It's just, it just sounds so like it was meant to be. Yeah. It still feels that way. (laughs) So were you specifically waiting for a newborn or in this case, newborns? Was that your plan was to, to have, um, to take home a new baby? Um, so most, because the U S doesn't do orphanages like some other Mm -hmm. countries Mm -hmm. our options here are really foster care um which is usually older kids um or domestic adoption is there are some rare cases where the child's already born or a couple days older but for the most part you are matched with a expectant Mm -hmm. mom they try to usually match you and you're like her like third trimester um so yeah domestic adoption is usually choosing um baby adoption Yeah, I've just heard so many stories of people having to wait so long just because, you know, that's obviously, um, there are many, you know, many families waiting for for those babies. And so many of them end up going into foster care. And, you know, there's there's just a lot of, a lot of like gaps in the system, it sounds like. I'm sure you know way more about that than I do. <laughs> yeah, we're, we really want to do foster care mm-hmm. down the road. Um, we thought it'd be beneficial as parents to like <laughs> learn about raising kids from yeah. the beginning <laughs> before we jump into that. Um, but yeah, um, domestic adoption, any adoption can be, is really hard and can be really messy. And a lot of times you get matched and then what they call a failed placement where the mom decides to parent. And that is, that's really, yeah. really common. Um, and some, I know people that have waited years and, um, ours went fairly smoothly. We didn't have a failed adoption. And, um, from like the day we decided to adopt to our babies being born was almost exact. I think it was nine months to the day, honestly. Um, and so, yeah, ours was much shorter than some for sure. That's also another interesting timeline, just that nine months that, you know, you kind of had a waiting period similar to, you know, similar to a pregnancy. Yeah. I I thought about that a lot, especially once it, like, I remember one day just like doing the math and, and counting back. And I remember we were at a concert when we decided like, okay, we need to adopt. It's like, it's time. And we both felt like we need to start now in order to cross paths with whoever we're supposed to cross mm-hmm. paths with. Um, 
And then doing that math, it's like, I, I'm pretty sure like our babies were being conceived like that same night, which is like crazy. (laughs) I wanted to ask you too, Hannah, I think that, um, I mean, everybody obviously has really different knowledge about adoption, whether it's from media or Mm -hmm. Facebook or personal experience or, you know, family or friends. I think my personal exposure to domestic adoption has either been direct, like people knew a person who, you know, just using that terminology from your agency, like who had a situation. So then they got connected through either, you know, church, family, whomever with a family or this like very long waiting period that was very financially taxing. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that's, I mean, I feel like that for me, you know, thinking about adoption personally, but also just watching people go through it in domestic, whether it's domestic or international, there's always going to be a financial cost, obviously. But I do think domestic adoption, I've had a lot of friends who've gone through that and have really either gone through it and waited years and given up and gone a different route or, you know, ended up having a a few situations fall through and then became discouraged. Do you think that's very common? Um, That's a big question, but yes. Um, I asked you a hundred questions. Sorry. (laughs) It's it's hard because what I've learned going through it is you have to do so much research on where to start. Um, I think we all want to trust the little neighborhood agency down the street. Um, But you need, like, picking an ethical agency is huge. And so many... Uh, my friends have started with an agency where they give so much money up front, let's say $15,000 to even sign up with them. And then whether your experience is great or terrible or four years or two years, like you feel so locked into that agency because you've already yeah. given so much money up front. Yeah. Um, and so that's a really tricky part about starting adoption is the overwhelming feeling of even where to begin. Um, there's some really great agencies out there and there's some really terrible ones. Um, And a big thing for me, like there's a way to cut down costs, like you could use a private lawyer. Um, But a big thing I like to advocate for and um, the birth mom uh, on our kindred team does a lot of work in this area. But when you do like go the lawyer route, you really miss out on birth moms having the counseling and post care support that they really need. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a huge thing to look into when you're picking an agency is making sure that that expectant mom and then later birth mom is receiving that support and counseling and that when she signs the papers, she's not just out on her own, but also has like support during that grieving process as well. Yeah, that seems huge. And I, I, we would love it if you would even share with us so we can share with our listeners, you know, some, some resources for finding, for finding how to start, you know, what kinds of agencies, what kinds of questions to ask, you know, what agencies you know of that, that are, like you said, ethical. I mean, I think that's, that's so huge is just knowing like where, who can I trust, you know? Yeah. Yep. You learn a lot going yeah, through the process. Absolutely. That's for sure. So let's go back a little bit to you're in Utah the, the girls are born. Um, you guys were already there when they were born. So did you get to see them right away after they were born? What did that, what did meeting them? What did meeting their mom look like? What was that yeah. all like? Um, Great question. So we got to meet the girl's birth mom the night before they were born. We went to a Longhorn Steakhouse and had dinner with her and the social workers. Um, And we were so nervous. And I think Mm -hmm. she was even more nervous. And we got out of the car and it was just like, oh my gosh. And so we gave each other a great hug. And then we went and had dinner. And like a big thing I was nervous about was the names. Like I wanted to make sure she liked what names we had, or if I didn't know if she had names in mind that she wanted to name them. Or so we talked about that and, um, we told her our names and she just loved them and just told us that she's going to like, she's going to have her own nicknames for them, which I really loved. Um, and then I, we hadn't even like a lot of people that get matched a little earlier than 10 days, um, talk about a lot of these things before the babies are, or baby comes, but because we got matched so late, like so much of these conversations didn't happen until the night before they were born. And so I wanted to make sure she knew that, that the next day was about her. Like she's still the mother until those papers are signed. And like, I would play whatever role she wanted me to play. But I just told her, I leaned over and said, tomorrow is all about you. If you want me there, I am there. And if you want your alone time, I completely understand. And she's, I still Mm -hmm. cried talking about any of this. Um, she said like, Hannah, tomorrow's not about me. Tomorrow's our day. Like I want you right next to me. And like, this is this woman I've known for an hour who's 
giving birth to my babies. Like it was just really insane moment. Um, and so that is also really rare. Like I know a lot of families that got to be in the room with their child's birth mom when she was born, but I know a ton of families that the birth mom decided that that was her time and wanted to be, do that alone, um, which is totally understandable. Um, but our girl's birth mom invited me in. Um, it was a C-section. And so I got to hold her hand the entire time and hold her hand during the epidural. And then Josh got to come, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Josh got to come in at the end before they were pulled out. Um, and like, I just remember like rubbing her head and I said to her, you're my hero. And she said, no, you're my hero. And it was just like this really, I, I think we get so scared of open adoption and our experience has been like so beautiful and um, really lovely that like my kids always will know their story and know they're loved by multiple people. Um, so yeah, it was just a really wonderful way to like start. And a huge question in the adoption community is always like, will you love your adoptive kids as much as biological kids? Uh, or was it like love its first sight? And like, obviously I have nothing to compare it to cause I've never had biological kids. Um, and like, I was, I thought these babies were beautiful, but like, I think my attention was so much on her, um, on their birth mom at that point. And that's who I had the relationship with. Like I hadn't carried the girls. I had never seen ultrasounds of them or anything. And so that day was just, it caught me off guard because I was split between two rooms. So like if I was with the girls and and they were born early, there was, they were four and three pounds. So they went straight to the NICU. Um, And so if I was with them, I was worried about her. And if she was lonely and she's there by herself, she doesn't have family there. And so, and then if I was with her, I was worried about the babies and wishing I was spending time getting to know them. Um, And so like, I didn't even hold them until I think 11 PM that night and they're born in the morning. Um, And I, I think I spent the majority of the day, like with their birth mom uh, while Josh was with the girls. So it was just a different first (laughs) day of being I wasn't even a mom yet, but well, whoever were, I was in I that mean, day, it was different. So, um, I'm just, I, it's, it's so powerful to hear that. I mean, I think that what you were able to experience that day, like you said, is probably so rare. Um, but I can, I can't even imagine how much that has contributed to, to the bond that you must feel with her and the ability that you have to hold this like very, nuanced thing of that you both love your daughters, you know, and, and just like sharing that experience with her in such a meaningful way, like what a gift to have and, and what a gift to be able to, to on even just a, um, you know, maybe a more subconscious or subtle level, like a gift to share with your daughters that, that, you know, their mom and, and their birth mom went through that together. Yep. I totally agree. It was very, I had never had pictured that as our delivery and it was, it was really beautiful. And I will like mm. never forget some of those words she, she just said sounds to me. like an amazing woman. Yeah, she is. And I think you're like, I guess I haven't thought about that much, but I, I feel so bonded to her. And like we text and email and, um, it's really like conversations. Sometimes I'll hear from her five times a week and sometimes I won't hear from her two months. And like that first time I didn't hear from her was so hard. I didn't realize how much it would like catch me off guard or, I like missed talking to her and I was worried that I wouldn't hear from her again. And then the girls wouldn't have a relationship with her and like your brain just starts spinning. But, um, I've learned that we just have our lives and we come back and say hello and then we might disappear for a little bit again and then we reconnect. But like, we always will have this like super special bond that started in Utah. So you mentioned not, you kind of said you didn't feel much like a mom that day. Um, something we talk about with uh, women on the show specifically is just when you feel like you became a mom and how that can be really different for everybody, no matter what the experience. Do you feel like you had a moment or a season where you kind of were like, oh, I'm a mom? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. I feel like I've had a, a few moments and they're really weird moments that stick out. But like one was... So like where we, where she delivered, you legally can't sign papers to relinquish your rights until like, now I can't remember it's 48 hours or 72 hours after birth. Um, and so after papers were signed, um, their birth mom decided that she wanted to do like all the feedings that day and spend time with them, um, which was wonderful. And like, if I could go back now and redo how I responded that day. I wish I could. But in that moment, um, 
it was the first day that we were technically their parents. And so it was crazy how like quickly mother bear came out. Like we want, they were in the NICU, there was some health concerns. And so Josh and I wanted to be there to like talk to the doctors Mm -hmm. and like be the ones to be doing skin to skin. And like, and so we like left the hospital and like we tried to go to a mall or to a movie or something. And like, I was just bawling. Like I couldn't shop. I remember sitting in Nordstrom's like on a bench, like just bawling my eyes out. Cause I wanted to be with the girls. And like, it sounded like she wanted to do all the night feedings too. And like, all I wanted to do was mm-hmm. be with them, especially on like my first day of being their mom. Um, and so we ended up going home back to the, like the Airbnb we were staying at and we decided we were just going to like open a glass of wine and like take advantage of this like night that we had together and just like, like try to keep our minds off and watch TV or something. Um, but as soon as we got home, we got a call that she had changed her mind and she wants us to do the feedings. And so we like, we, we like literally, I think we just like seriously had just opened the bottle of wine and we like threw it down and like ran into the car and went as quickly back to the hospital as we could. Um, and so, like, none of that is negative on her. Like, she, I'm, she wanted that time, and it was great um, for her to have that. But it, in me, it was, like, that first time that I felt like, oh, these are my babies, and, like, I need to fight for them and be there with the Nikki doctors. Um, so that was one moment. And then, I, this one's silly, but, like, I remember getting home with the twins, and, like, the first time I, like, went to Target and saw, like, another mom <laughs> who had, like, messy hair and a baby with her, and I was, like, I wanted to, like hug her like fist pumper and be like I know what it took for you to get here like you (laughs) got dressed and got a baby in the car and got out of the car and like put the baby in the cart and like that's a ton of work (laughs) and I started thinking like I had never noticed moms before out and now like I just watch everything they do like how did they get their kid to do (laughs) this or like how did they get the kid out of the car and like especially with twins it's like how do I go find a cart? Do I like go find a cart and then bring it over to the car and then put them in the car? Or do I like try to carry them both to find a cart with like all these like little things like I never thought about before. And now I'm just like watching every mom to like figure out how they heck they're doing. So I just remember those like moments of like wanting, like being in the mom club and like seeing another mom and feeling like, oh yeah, we're doing this. I got you. Yeah. You see another new mom. You're like, you've probably cried like five times yeah, today. Exactly. Like, you know, you know what they're going through. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you get the girls home, you're transitioning, you're kind of, you know, making, settling in, figuring things out. You have twins, which is a big deal. Um, how did you and Josh adjust and how did you settle into that time? <laughs> I've been realizing recently that this stage that you're asking about is like a complete blur and I don't remember anything. <laughs> so, Why? Why would that be? <laughs> I know, right? Um, yeah, I have no idea <laughs> how we did anything. Um, what was nice about the NICU was like the girls were there for two weeks and so they were on a very strict like eat every four hours, sleep, eat again. So when we brought them home, they were still on that, like they would wake up on the dot four hours. Um, so that was really nice and something that I know a lot of my friends that have had babies recently struggle with like getting them on that schedule, but like our schedule just kind of was like like, given to us, which was super helpful with twins. Um, Mm. So that transition was good. It was really hard. I remember now it was really hard to transfer from like working Hannah. Like I remember holding the babies and like putting up a post about like how I couldn't stop thinking about work or like, how do I just like stop and just like enjoy not doing anything, like just sitting here with babies and taking care of them. And a bunch of people were like automatically on my Instagram, like, you shouldn't be thinking about work and like, you need to just be a mom right now. And I was just like, Oh man, sorry. Like I, (laughs) I didn't know, like, I didn't know. I don't know. I just had never done it before. And so like now I wish I could have snapped out of that mode quicker, but it's really hard to go from like a job that you do every day and like this rhythm of life to like a completely different rhythm of life. Um, and so I remember it was, took a long time to adjust to that new day. Yeah. Yeah, it's a huge transition. And I think that, you know, when you aren't pregnant for nine months, even though you guys were obviously waiting to adopt, and so you're in that mode of anticipation, but it's not like you were pregnant for nine months and, you know, stopped working a few weeks before so you could, like, you know, get, like, work on your swollen ankles and and try to, you know, set up the nursery. And so it's suddenly one day you're a mom. And and the truth is, is that even when you have that, that time and sort of that physical displacement you know, situation that helps prepare you, it's still a really, really challenging thing to transition to. And, and so many moms are describe exactly what you have, especially I think a lot of times with the first kid or, you know, the first time 
you you have kids because it's just absolutely brand new. Like you really, you're supposed to just turn off this other part of your brain that has been like the, you know, <laughs> you're the primary energy you've lived in for, you know, your entire adult life. It's extremely difficult to do. Definitely. I wish I would have, I don't feel like anyone talked about that part to me. <laughs> Yeah. Like I just, I had no, I didn't know what to expect. And like, I was super worried too, that I wouldn't know how to like care for a baby. Like my niece and nephew are much older now. And like, I loved kids when I was like younger, but like I hadn't been around a baby in a really long time. Mm. Um, I was very glad that like somehow there's just this natural, like, you know how to take care of your baby. Like, I don't know. I knew what to do, but did you feel that way before I had no idea? Yeah, I definitely did. Yeah. And were were you worried about that? Like being an adoptive mom that like you wouldn't have those same instincts? Um, I would worry about that, whether I was having yeah. <laughs> a biological child or adopting, I think. Um, but it, yeah, it just really came naturally. Like I learned their differences really quickly. And like, I, I told like my friends recently have just having babies. And so like, it's been so fun to tell them who are so nervous, like you're going to know what to do. Like, it's so bizarre, but like, you're going to learn their different cries and like their moods. And like, you just get this thing that like motherhood brings you that you know how to do what you never thought you knew how to do before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we really have found and make space to celebrate that because there is so much intuition that comes into um, this season of motherhood and like, you know, whatever experience you have, like you're, you know, having like your friends having kids or you literally picked up kids and took them home with you and it came, you know, it came from the part of you that's made to be a mom. And, um, I just think it's really beautiful that you can share that with other people. Cause I think that, you know, like you said, there's, there's things that you're like, I wish someone had told me that, or I wish I knew this about that. Um, but community is really where that's taking place now. Um, more than Mm -hmm. ever is the community that you're building. And I think it's part of why I think it's just so magical that, you took the experience of your experience of adoption and turned it into a community. And mm-hmm. thanks. it seems like a, a natural yeah, reflection of who you are as a human being, but also just like a, a, came from the creativity of that season of your life too. Yeah. I think all moms have like this beautiful grit, but there's just something really unique about the adoption community. And like, I've yet to talk to adoptive mom that I didn't like instantly bond yeah. with. Cause they just, they kind of do life a little differently and they, have different challenges than other parents and especially if you're in a transracial family that's a whole other layer of um things that you want to not feel alone in and like you want to walk through this journey with other people to do it well and so yeah kindred has become such a wonderful outlet uh for me and it just combines so many of the things i love whether it's like design or photography or stories or and community all in all in one and and adoptive stories which i absolutely love Can you talk a little bit more about what you just mentioned, the transracial part of it, and how how you guys are going about that? Sure. Um, That's a a big part that I'm still, like, gathering my thoughts Mm -hmm. on. Um, I'm in, like, a hard – not a hard part right now, but it's just, like, this – I've been trying to write a blog called, like, The Tension of Adoption now for, like, literally, like, six six months and like I keep starting and I like don't know where to take it because like I don't even know my own thoughts <laughs> thoughts are um but it, it's like it's hard because every adoption starts with loss and so like the more I grow and like truly feel like my girls are my own like sometimes I like wish I could claim them as part of my like body because I like just feel like so much like they're mine even though I like love their adoption story and love their birth mom and like don't want to negate any of that um there's just a sense of like I don't know, wanting them to be a part of me. Um, But like, I can't protect them from like the hurt that they might experience because of their adopt, like any adoption story starts with that loss. Mm -hmm. And that's been a really hard thing to like grapple with and like, and then layering um, transracial adoption on top of that. Like I, we did a bunch of research before choosing transracial adoption and we always pictured ourselves as a transracial family and, um, we've done, we just thought we knew a lot, but like once it's your own family and it's just like this whole different world. And sometimes I really wonder, like, am I the best mom for these babies? Like, would a black mom be better? Um, and that I don't have like a great answer for that, but like, those are the things that I think about. And then I have friends that are with kids that are older that, you know, they just, they hear things on the playground or, um, just with our culture right now, it's, it's a difficult spot to be. And so, 
Josh and I have like, I take learning their hair very seriously. Like that was one thing I actually, I was hoping we'd get matched with the boy because I was terrified of learning girl black hair. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I've hired a um, teacher that comes and teaches me hair because I want them to feel empowered to do their own hair. And they're only gonna be able to do their own hair if like I learned mm-hmm. to do their hair. Um, and we have a black pediatrician. We really try to make sure they have racial mirrors in their life. And we're never going to live in a city where they're the only white kids in school. I mean, sorry, only black kids right. in a white school. Um, and so there's some sacrifices you have to make as a transracial family. And there's so much I've learned. And my best advice is to like join groups and to reach out to people that are in the black community and are black to learn from. Um, and so I've just been sitting back and listening and trying to learn. And there's a lot mm-hmm. to learn. <laughs> And a lot of grace that needs to be given to me when I probably mess up. But yeah, yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, but I obviously haven't gathered all my thoughts on that because my head's like overflowing with those. No, I would assume that it's multifaceted. Like you said, it's like you have your own feelings about it, like in desires and passions or, you know, whatever led you to make that decision. And then also you have this other element that you're managing, which is like you want, you know, what's every mom wants what's best for their kids. And then you're also trying to interact with another culture and to offer all of that, everything I just said on, on the other side of it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wonder if you sense, how how old are the girls now? Are they two, two and a half? Um, They're year and a half, 19 months ish. That makes sense. Um, I'm wondering if, you know, over time, like what the how much of an impact them being twins will have it. And and I'm just thinking out loud. I have a, you know, I have a close friend who has a, and a, and a, her oldest daughter is adopted and she's actually from Ethiopia. And then they have two biological children after her. And I know that for her, it's, you know, she, she really senses this, this feeling of being, you know, not only different from her parents, but being mm-hmm. different from her siblings and having that, you know, sort of isolating experience. And, yeah. and so I'm just curious what it will be like for your daughters. And I know you don't have an answer to this, but you know, what it will be like for them to, to grow up both with each other, but also because they're twins to sort of have, you know, a pretty congruent experience, not of, of, of their, their life, but, but certainly like how they're perceived in the world, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I, I don't remember when this conversation was, but before they were born, I remember Josh saying like, mm-hmm. I'm so glad they're going to have each other to like go through this with. And like, I, I don't know why, but like, it hadn't even crossed my mind that like out of anyone in our family, they're blood related, like Josh and I are blood related and they get to have that bond and they get to ha- share like when they are going through asking hard questions about their story, like they at least get each other to like go through it with. And like, that gave me so much, I don't know, relief in some way that like, that they got, they, they, they get to have each other, um, which is just something I didn't think about when yeah. we first got matched with twins, but super yeah. thankful for now. That will be really, really beautiful to watch what that looks like over the years. Yeah. So you've mentioned we'll that you're in contact with their birth mother and it sounds like sometimes that's, you know, frequent and sometimes it is less frequent. What is your plan and what is the agreement that you have in terms of how your daughters will interact with her or have, you know, relationship with her over the years? Yeah. Um, very, I guess. So let me back up a little bit. When you get to like these situations again, um, they say what the expected mom is hoping for in terms of open adoption, because even an open adoption that looks really different for every family. Like I know some families that live in the same town as their kid's birth mom and they get together and go to lunch and see each other all the time. And like, then I know some that they just share like a Facebook page and, email some photos once in a while, like open adoption can look very different, um, to different families. Um, for us, we hope to see her again. I would love our girls to meet her and hug her and us all to like be together again. We live really far away, so I don't know when that will happen. Um, but I also wanted our relationship to be really like organic and grow naturally instead of like setting out all these expectations right away that Mm. maybe neither of us can meet. And so, we mutually decided to like share contact information and like, just like any relationship, like see how it grows. Um, and so, so far it's been really healthy and wonderful and, um, we haven't had any issues. And I know a lot of people are, have a lot of questions about what open adoption looks like, but we're just like taking it slow. And I hope someday like our families can be together, but I just don't know when that will be yet. So. 
we'll see. A lot of it's unknown. Yeah, I think, and the other side of that is just like how your girls feel about it as they grow older, and there'll be, you know, especially once they're adolescents and and adults, like so much of that will be in their, you know, in their hands. And I'm I'm not, um, I was not adopted fully, but I my mom and I were, you know, she and I were together before she married my my stepdad who then, you know, raised me. And, um, when I was like 17, I just had to meet my, you know, my dad's family who, who I hadn't been in touch with for so long. And I think it was very hard for my parents to understand at that time, like why, you know, and and they, they, they didn't want me to have contact with them. So it was a very different situation than you're describing. But I think it was just, it was very, um, it really showed me that like, you can't, you can't shut off that desire and not everybody has it, but if you have it, you can't shut off that desire to, to have that contact and to have that relationship. Um, it's just, it's just there and you, you cannot help but explore it, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a huge thing for us in choosing open adoption, a lot of agencies don't even do closed adoption anymore because of the research on it, but um, we want to be, we would rather sit in the hard questions with our daughters and, and have a hard answer to give to them rather than no answer to give at all. Um, and say, we don't know. And so op- open adoption is really messy and it's layered and it involves a lot of <laughs> moving emotions and different lives. And, but we're really committed to staying in an open adoption and sitting in it in the hard parts. Mm-hmm. I have curiosity too, like how, I know that um, you had said your husband would have two weeks off, but how you guys have transitioned in continuing being a medical school family and um, being, mm-hmm. have, were you placed in Chicago or? Um, so we moved back, we were living in Colorado Springs when I got that job. And then when Josh started medical school, we were really missing the city and there's just a lot of great opportunity for med schools here. So we moved back to Chicago for him yeah. to start med school. Um, and so, yeah, he's in his fourth year of med school right now and is applying to residencies, which will start in July. And so we potentially could be moving again. Um, really love Chicago and love some other options as well. But yeah, it's just medical school is funny because like some months are so long. Like I think it was October and half of November, like he was getting home late and it, the girls had just turned 18 months. So they're now getting like way more mobile and like feeding time was more stressful. And so like he was getting home like right in the middle of dinner time. So I had like just worked a full day and I'm trying to feed them. I'm trying to make dinner for us, trying to make dinner for them. Food's being thrown, hair's a mess. Like dog is eating everything off the ground. Then I'm trying to like get them into bed. Like that like hour of whirlwind of from like five to six 30 was like absolutely terrible. And I think for like that whole month by the like six o'clock on the dot, I would just break down and like be bawling yeah. um, and wonder how anyone <laughs> does, th- does this. Um, but then like this last month, he hasn't had classes because he's just interviewing for residency. So he's been home with the girls every day for the last like three weeks, um, which has been wonderful. So it's like medical school is weird because like the schedule is different. So yeah. every minute, um, which is nice because you have reprieve sometime and then some moments that are just really crazy. But yeah, life life feels yeah, full. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it does. Do you guys think that you're done done having kids are you planning to adopt again is that something that's on the table at all yeah so we went to dinner with my parents I think it was last year it was before oh, the twins were babies because uh, they were in their carriers and Josh said on the count of three let's all say how many kids we think we're gonna have <laughs> Josh is talking and I'm like oh this should be a fun game because Josh and I like at this point had never talked about it <laughs> which is weird so he says one two three and me my mom and my dad all say four well, Josh is seven. Uh. <laughs> and I was like, okay, <laughs> we need to talk about this later. Um, so I think we're, I come from a big family and I think we've always pictured our family big, but we also have had, like, if we get pregnant, that's going to be surprising and we'll have that conversation. But I don't see us ever saying like, we're going to start trying. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see like where our children come from. Like, I have no idea. And we're really drawn to doing foster care next, mm-hmm. but no strict plans to do that so I don't know it's really weird when you just are like open to how your children will join your family yeah that's it's very it's very interesting to just to think about 
you know, when, once you've opened the door to these, you know, these alternative ways of building a family, whether that's out of necessity or out of desire, it just, it really shows you that a family can be built any, any way, you know, it, it's, there's yeah, no, exciting. there's no formula. Um, and, you know, we've talked to some amazing mamas on the show who have done foster care. And I just think that, that that is such an incredible, incredible space and need to fill in the world. Um, it's just, there are just so many kids out there that are, that don't have, you know, don't have the love and the, and the home that they need. So it's really, it's really beautiful to, to hear. Yeah, I'm excited to see what it looks like down the road. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing with us today, Hannah. Um, we will share links to the work that you're doing with Kindred and Co. Um, and some resources that, that we'll get from you so that people can, can kind of feel like they have a little bit of a starting point. If this is a conversation that they're having, um, about potentially considering adoption, um, is there anything that you would want to share with our listeners as we wrap up today? Yeah, I would just, I mean, I, to anyone that's considering adoption, I think it's so easy to be so scared. And like the two things I repeated to myself the whole time through our adoption were one, do not let fear win. Cause there at so many points you could stop or throw in the towel. Um, and I am so thankful I didn't do that at many points during our adoption process, or I wouldn't have the family that I have yeah. now. Um, so don't let fear win. Um, but also like your baby will not pass you by. Like there's nothing you can do that will not let you cross paths with the baby that's supposed to join your family. And that could be really hard in those moments where you have a failed placement or you hear a no, or I don't know, so many things can, you get scammed. That's very common in adoption. So there's like, there can be some really heartbreaking moments. Um, but just hold on to the fact that like your baby will not pass you by. Um, so those are my two pieces of advice for people that might be in that waiting time of adoption. I love that. And for anyone that is considering adoption or potentially are already an adoptive family, we'd love for you to check out Hannah's uh, community because it sounds like an amazing place for for people to connect and be part of, like she's talking about that sort of like-minded and like-experienced um, just set of mamas. So we will share links to that. And thank you so much for joining us today, Hannah. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth Today. If you want to be a bigger part of our community, you can follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on Facebook, where we have all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff going on. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate us in iTunes, which allows other people to find us and helps the show to grow. I think it goes without saying, but Mother Birth is a personal podcast created by Lara Melissa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period.